Hello everybody. Welcome to Emin, the first ever podcast series brought to you by the Industrial Application Society of IEEE NCSC. This is your one stop to know everything and anything about the tech and the industrial world. So get ready to awaken the engineer in you. Hello all and welcome to the third episode of Emend. I am Nazreen K Bashir, a second year AAA student at MEC and I will be your host for the day. Now talking about today's guest, we have a very special person here with us. She's the ex-vice president at Robert Bosch Engineering and Business Solutions Limited, a mentor of COE electrification, a certified coach from CFI and a member of Leaders Excellence at Harvard Square. With immense pleasure, I would like to welcome Ma'am Lata Chembrakalam to our podcast. Hello ma'am. Hello, good morning. Good morning. Thanks for the welcome note. You're welcome, ma'am. Hello. It's really an honor to have you here with us today. I'm looking forward to a great session with you. Okay, ma'am. Great. Thank you. Looking forward. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, so I guess we can move straight away to our questions then. So uh, sure. here's my first question to you, ma'am. So passing out from CET, one of the best colleges with a graduate degree in applied electronics and instrumentations in 1991 must have been a thrilling experience since the representation of women in the STEM field was not very prominent at that time. So how did society perceive or you know react to your choice of degree in education? Okay, it's an interesting question. Mm-hmm. Uh, first of all, I don't think it was a thrilling experience because mm-hmm. the representation of women in STEM was not prominent mm-hmm. uh, because I normally never bring gender to the table. Okay. So that way it was uh, not thrilling, but I would say that, you know, we had a lot of fun in college. Mm-hmm. Uh, when we started off, the diversity percentage was very less. We were five girls and 35 boys in the class. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, I would say that, you know, nobody brought gender to the picture and uh, it was a lot of uh, project work, Any everything it was, you know, we jointly did. Okay. Uh, but the interesting point was uh, when I uh, passed out and, you know, I had to take up an assignment in, in Germany. That was in way back in 1995. Okay. And uh, I was uh, posted in a town called Regensburg, which is uh, near Munich in Germany. And I was supposed to do certain know-how transfer to India. So when I went there, uh, it was quite hilarious because uh, if from Germany, we thought that, you know, if it's a developed country, we will have a large percentage of women in technology and other things. Yeah. In the entire setup, what we had at that point in time, there was there were hardly any ladies in engineering. Oh. And, I, and when I went there, uh, everybody asked me whether I'm a financial consultant or a secretary. Okay. Because they could not imagine that you could have a lady engineer and that too coming from an underdeveloped country like India. Okay. Uh, that I found it quite uh, quite hilarious. But interestingly, you know, over the years, uh, finally what matters is what you bring to the table, your competency, your credibility, your hard work and your output. That's all what matters. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, I, it was quite easy to establish myself and, um, uh, you know, get into... Uh, technology very easily and then we started a center in India and so on. So that was there. So that way I feel that India is a much more advanced, it was a much more level playing field uh, for this STEM, okay. I would say. Yeah. 
uh, and the society if you ask me whether i chose this degree of education we i belong to a, uh, a generation which was not as fortunate as your generation probably mm-hmm. yeah you have so many choices you don't have to take engineering or medicine or banking or teaching yeah. when we passed out or when we were in school or maybe early stages of uh, college these were the only options which were there mm-hmm. so uh, if you ask me uh, Uh, why did i choose engineering there were two two options at home uh, i probably was one of the first working women in the family coming from a conservative uh, oh. family okay. there were two options we were we had doctors in the family okay. so option was either you be an engineer or you be a doctor okay. so i would faint at the sight of blood <laughs> i was scared of injection so i was very clear that you know that's nothing which is cut out for me <laughs> okay yeah and uh, the other part is that i loved math uh math was my favorite subject any point of time mm-hmm. and uh, then i landed up in engineering uh, that's how how it was i had you know uh, really good marks for my pre degree and somehow entrance also was pretty good ranking so i got in one of the best branches there mm-hmm. so uh, society pursuing people were asking me why didn't you become a doctor it is it much more easier for you to be in the bank or a teacher or doctor and stuff like that yeah so that was one part The, so choice of education people i mean at, at home it was a little bit surprise but the most surprise started when i started boarding the plane every other uh, you know every other 3 4 months for an international destination mm-hmm. because uh, it was not a family where women would travel so frequently abroad and uh, alone okay. and uh, you know you you know all these things yeah. right so so that actually those things actually came as a, as a surprise but uh, the good part is that i i got married to a family where my mom and dad was uh, you know she was working and uh, the entire set of family could understand what a working woman is and i was accepted wholeheartedly and my parents also were very supportive so somehow you know it all um, worked out well yeah it, it it worked out well right so that's a very important factor in life absolutely so there were i mean being uh, i would say the representation of women in stem is less i had hilarious experience in germany than in india <laughs> uh, we had to visit certain plants where they did not even have a toilet for women oh so you go to there for training and uh, you have to ask the male colleague to stand outside if you have to get inside okay yeah so uh, and i it was quite unexpected for me because i always thought they are much more developed yeah in terms of uh, they are much more progressive yeah. in terms of many things so yeah so yeah well most of us it was a matter of pride that we are from india yeah <laughs> absolutely well i think even now most of uh, you know many think alike and this is like a very different experience from your part Okay, ma'am. Uh, so uh, now we'll move on to our next question. Uh, so, ma'am, you have worked in the EV industry. So there are thousands of engineering graduates from electrical and electronic domains in India. But, however, we see that ninety uh, percent of all engineering graduates work either in the IT industry or you know other unrelated fields. So, how do you think the rise of electric vehicles can help them? Okay, fine. Uh, see, I don't think electric vehicle alone can help because there are all fields of business and engineering and technology have innovations and increase which is happening mm-hmm. in different parts of the world and is getting reflected in India. So, which means that India, being a talent hub, every field has opportunity. Okay. So EV is one of them, and related technology is one of them. But if you look at any other area, if you uh, if you want to look whether in, including biotechnology, communication, many other areas, we mm-hmm. have a lot of growth which is happening. 
but I slightly disagree to your point that 90% of all the engineering graduates work in IT industry mm -hmm. or other fields because when a student looks at the industry and tells me I'm working in IT, okay. uh, I would say 50% of the time they are not working in IT. It's just a perception. Okay. For example, Bosch is an engineering company. We are not IT company. We have 20,000 people in Bosch and mm -hmm. we were never an IT company. People thought that if you do software, it's an IT company. It is not. Okay. If you want to write a line of code, one line of code in an electric vehicle or an IC engine vehicle, you need to be an engineer by heart. You need to be an engineer by spirit. Mm -hmm. Because you need to understand the system completely. You want to, you have to understand the mechanics, the hydraulics, and the electric part completely. If you have to write a code, okay. so I cannot call them IT guys. Mm -hmm. I will call them engineers. I would call them uh, engineering professionals. So that is there's a lot of misconception. There are many industries in which people, for example, whether it is a continental or a KPIT or a Tata, there are many many areas where people think they are writing code. Mm -hmm. And the challenge is that they don't understand where the code is going and that is why they call it IT. It is okay. not IT. There is a whole lot of fundamental system know-how which is required for you to make your line of code successful. Okay. Yeah. So it is not IT and uh, IT, yes, in many, of course, there are many who are moving to that area. Yeah. The second point what you need to understand is that even if you talk about uh, internal combustion engine, electrification, many other topics, mm -hmm. there are a lot of underlying new technologies which are coming up on top, top of it, which I would call like, you know, the, uh, the icing on the cake technology, mm -hmm. uh, which are, uh, if you really look at now the trends which are coming in, I would say they mainly are artificial intelligence, mm -hmm. uh, cyber security, cloud computing, then we have 5G technology, blockchain, IoT, connectivity, augmented and virtual reality, data analytics, just to name a few, okay. 3D printing, a whole lot of technologies which are there. So these technologies, you cannot call them as IT technologies. If, if all, each of these things have to be successful, you need to understand the engineering behind it, right? And these yes. are technologies whether it can be applied in electric vehicles, it can be applied in IC engines, it can be applied maybe in a, in a medical system, in a bioengineering system, in an agricultural engineering, in a whole lot of engineering fields. These are some of the emerging technologies which are there. Okay. But if these technologies have to work, you need to have the core engineering in, in place. So, um, so that is where, you know, as I mentioned, every field has a lot of innovation, a lot of increase there. And uh, there are a whole lot of opportunities which are there for the engineering graduates who are passing out now. Mm -hmm. Okay, okay. Okay, ma'am. Uh, so, uh, what kind of educational reforms do you think are necessary in the academic syllabus of engineering in India so as to bring more innovation and quality in electronics, mechanical and electrical fields of engineering? This is my favorite question because <laughs> this is the debate which I have whenever I go for a university talk. Okay. I passed out 29 years back and yeah. when I looked at the syllabus which is there now, mm -hmm. it doesn't have too much of delta change. Okay. But if you look at maybe the technology uh, change in the last five years itself, yeah. you can see the kind of advancement, so which means that so the fundamentals have to remain the same. But there are a lot of other things which an engineering graduate needs to know by the time he or she passes out. Okay. Um, otherwise, the quality of education is not complete. Mm -hmm. So the issue of lack of employable engineers in India should be looked at with a great concern. and. If you really look at the statistics, the real directly employable engineering graduates in the country is less than 10%. Yeah. Okay. 
Okay. So that's actually a shocking, shocking <laughs> yeah. number. Yeah. Yeah, we are churning out so many graduates, and then you have them not fit to be for the industry. Uh, and academy is not model. reacting to it. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, a concern point. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So I would say that uh, there is something which you can do without depending only on the college. One is that more internships. Try to get more internships. Okay. Uh, try to work on projects. Um, uh, you know, which which involves these new topics. Okay. And uh, from the industry side, we are working with multiple colleges now to introduce the electives on this new topic. At least that you know the students have a background of uh, mm-hmm. some of these topics at least when they get to the industry, and also get the industry expert to give lecture. For example, if you have mm-hmm. uh, a topic on uh, you know communication, maybe get somebody who can talk about cybersecurity and related communication. So that you know it goes into the students' head. On what the industry is, it's nothing to do with the theory which you are learning uh, mm-hmm. in the thing, right? Yeah. So, uh, and I would say uh, very important is also a lot of self-study because there are a lot of online courses available now. Yeah. Whether it's Udemy or LinkedIn Learning or many other online courses. Yeah. So um, I think that uh, you know students can also look at some of these courses so that they are prepared and. We know it's a real competitive world, right? There are not too many positions open, and the competition is very, very high. Mm-hmm. So these multiple perspectives that you have, the curiosity that you have to learn, and a holistic thinking mm-hmm. uh, that has to be brought in, uh, yeah. these are some things which the students will really have to have to focus. And uh, obviously, the, the engineering colleges and the universities also will have to look at. Tailoring the syllabus to remove some of these obsolete topics which okay. are there, and actually introducing one or two electives uh, or some papers on topics which are you know uh, which are more relevant to the yeah. industry, industry, which will at least last for the next ten years. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So, and uh, but you know, talking in a more general way, the student will have to look at more, as you said, more uh, internships and other uh, early exposure to the industry. Yes. Absolutely. Okay, ma'am. Uh, so, um, you know, what are some of the new opportunities which are about to be created by the EV industry in particular? And what are some ways the students can you know, prepare for that? I would say I already covered it because I don't think that for the EV industry there is nothing which you can do. Okay. Except if you can learn power electronics. And as I mentioned all the topics before, like, you know, AI and blockchain and the list of 10 topics which I listed. Yeah. These are part of every industry and these are something which is not there. So. I wouldn't tell anything specific to EV. EV probably something related to power electronics, you know, machines, uh, e-machines, motors, thermal characteristics. These are something which you can which you can learn. Mm-hmm. Uh, otherwise, you know, uh, there is there is nothing nothing much you can illustrate throughout of college. Maybe two or three papers if you can learn on that, it's good enough. Okay, 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 ma'am. Uh, so, um, electric vehicles. Uh, well, we are talking about that have been introduced in India for a long time now. Yet it has not become a part of every person's life. So, ma'am, what do you think might be the reason for that? A counter question to you: When do you think electric vehicle was introduced in India? Uh, I I'm not quite sure on that uh, data, but okay. Let me ask you differently. Then, when when was electric vehicle introduced in the world? Any guess? Uh, I don't know. Maybe ten years. So, for your information, the first electric vehicle was introduced in the beginning of 1800. Oh my! Okay, that's okay. That's not what I had in mind. Yeah. So, when we talk about the first car, everyone remembers the one which was invented by Carl Benz in 1885. Okay. Yeah? 
but electric vehicles did exist before that. There was a inventor called Robert Anderson. He was mm -hmm. a Scottish inventor. He made the first crude electric carriage, uh, you know, in the in the early nineteenth century. Okay. And the first electric vehicles uh, that went on the road over hundred kilometers per hour was already there in eighteen ninety nine. Mm hmm. Okay. Okay. So, so this is interesting, which means yes. that electric vehicles in different forms have already been existing uh, in the rest of the world, and maybe in some parts of India as well. India may be just only the last two decades. Okay. Uh, but India as a country, uh, you know, we have certain challenges. Not it is not only India as a country, but I think globally we have certain challenges why electric vehicles are not getting popular, being talked about a lot. Mm -hmm. Because in the last 15-20 years in the automotive industry, I am hearing that in the next 10 years IC engines will be replaced by EVs. It's not so easy. Mm -hmm. Number one, um, EV manufacturing, uh, EV battery manufacturing is India is largely dependent on the import because EV uses lithium-ion batteries and mm -hmm. uh, lithium is imported. Yeah. And this is a major hurdle for companies willing to invest in India's EV industry. Okay. The second one is that uh, uh, most of the time the electric vehicles have got less range. Mm -hmm. So which means that once you plug in, the uh, vehicle might run only for 80 or 100 kilometers maximum. So which means that if I want to come from uh, Bangalore to Kalamashiri, maybe I have to have two or three stops somewhere. Okay. And each of the time, if the charging takes five or six hours, then actually it doesn't work. So this is what mm -hmm. we call as range anxiety in the industry. Yeah. So which means that um, for a, we have very very less options of vehicles which can run hundreds of kilometers, unlike the IC engine where you maybe by the time you have a coffee, the petrol or diesel is filled and then you can move on. Such technology is not freely available. It's getting developed, but not freely available anymore. Mm -hmm. Second thing is that we are uh, a lot of batteries that we use in electric vehicles are dependent from China. Okay. And after the COVID, you know that there are a lot of geopolitical tension between the two countries. So that also has as an issue in getting the components. Many yes. electric yeah. yeah. So many EV components also come from from China. Another mm -hmm. one is the battery. Uh, so battery, uh, you know, it's like a CNG cylinder. You have seen certain vehicles which runs on CNG, right? Or, mm -hmm. uh, you know, and then you go and change the cylinder like you change the gas cylinder at home. Yeah. So there are a lot of discussions happening in the industry on whether we can swap batteries like that. You know, when you get an electric vehicle, if the battery charges off, you go to a battery station instead of a petrol station, give a battery, take a battery. Okay. But the problem is that we don't have standardization of battery. So nobody is sure what you are giving and what you are giving. So this is something which is important. Mm -hmm. Another one is that India as a country, we already have a lot of power shortage. Yeah. And now we talk about electric vehicles to make it work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that's one. And then you have lack of charging stations. You know, you see so many petrol bunks all over the way, uh, mm -hmm. way, but you know, the charging stations and the infrastructure required for charging is very less. Yeah. And the last one is when you talk about the electricity, uh, electric vehicle. Why do we go to electric vehicle? Because IC engine pollutes and electric vehicle is come, supposed to be more green, right? Yeah, yes. Because it reduces less pollution. Yeah. But the question is that is it really green? Okay. If you are actually producing um, energy using burning coal, if electricity is coming from coal power plants, mm -hmm. we already burn a lot of coal somewhere else, uh, okay. you know, maybe in some place in Tamil Nadu to yeah. get green energy in Kerala. So it is really not green. We are not actually creating green. So we need to look at renewable energy sources mm -hmm. to, to charge the car, right? Yes. So, 
so these are some of the interesting questions and uncertain customer behavior sometimes everybody is a fan of electric sometimes people feel that you know it is good to talk about but i really don't want to own a car like that so <laughs> there are many things which are there, which are there and the last one is the government policy because in 2019 the kerala the, in the indian government had a policy called fame uh they are they told that you know 50% of the vehicle component has to be made in india but india is nowhere near to that so that also has slowed down the ev adoption okay okay multiple factors okay yeah. so so yeah there are several factors to that okay uh, so ma'am just like ev autonomous vehicles are slowly becoming popular yet we don't see a significant rise in those either so what do you think might be the reason for that one Let me ask you a question. If I give you a driverless vehicle, will you sit in that? Um, I'm not. I, I don't think I'll be one hundred percent confident with that. <laughs> yeah. So technology has still not reached this level. So if you look at autonomous vehicle, uh, there are different levels. One is level zero, which is no automation, like the standard one which we are using. Okay. Right? Yes. And then you have level one, which is called a driver assistant. So this is a normal vehicle. Mm-hmm. but you have certain topics like you know adaptive cruise controls and uh, you know typically for highway driving certain helps and other things okay. and maybe for certain period when it is running in certain speed drivers are able to take the feet off their pedal yeah so that's level 2 mm-hmm. so level 3 is you know a little bit more of automation and level 5 uh, 5 what we are talking about is full automation okay which means that no driver is required so artificial intelligence sits behind the wheel and you sit next to it okay okay Yeah. So uh, and maybe you could have a smart cabin so that the passenger can sit somewhere behind and give the command uh, to the uh, AI driver okay. to tell that you know please from Cochin you go to take me uh, to here you know, the, yeah Trivandrum or whatever right yeah so this kind of so this is this is the level of automation so if you look at it the partial automation is already there in many of the vehicles which all of us are driving mm-hmm. because most of mostly if you are ask your parents I think most of them will have vehicles. Uh, which has probably an adaptive cruise control or you know certain braking functionality and all but mm-hmm. the problem is in the level 3 to level 5 the higher automation because one is the traffic conditions in india yeah uh, in rest of the world also the traffic condition second thing is the uh, the maturity of the artificial intelligence algorithms that is uh, that is there to uh, get into a driverless mode Mm-hmm. The third one is the response time has to be very tight because the car has many engine control units and the processing power of the engine control units are less. So we use a lot of cloud, okay. and the data transfer between the cloud and uh, you know the ECU has to be very fast. And five yeah. G is still emerging. With the four G, it is not possible because uh, just to give you an example for an autonomous car, uh, okay. the Uh, amount of data that the car will generate probably in five or six th- days time is equivalent to two petabits of data. Petabits means two million gigabits. So you can count okay. the number of zeros in that. Okay. Yeah. And to to transfer so much of data in the normal Wi-Fi at home, it will take you two hundred and thirty days. Oh God. Okay. But now we are talking about people's life sitting in the car, and then <laughs> car has to respond, right? Yeah. Yeah. So now five G has to come. Uh, and many other things have to be in place if these kind of technologies have to be familiar so it takes time yeah and uh, i think that uh, it is uh, the company which i'm joining now in the next couple of days is uh, heavily working on this topic which is autonomous driving mm-hmm. and we are hoping that we can also uh, uh, you know make a difference in the uh, in the world by making things faster in this uh, situation okay okay ma'am 
so uh, we have been discussing for quite some time about EV and AV. So from motor giants like uh, Tata, Mahindra and Maruti to startups like Praveg, Aether and Revolt. Who is working hard? Who is working hard for bringing the next level EV to our roads? As in, where do you see the Indian EV industry in the next couple of years? Mm, partially, I answered his question. What are the barriers? Right, okay. five or six barriers. Yes, you. Unless right. these barriers are covered, whichever giant is working on it, it will not work. The okay. infrastructure has to change for sure. The battery technology has to improve. Mm -hmm. So. So there are many things which are there. So I would say that it will grow, it will emerge. The tech giants okay. and the startups will coexist. But interestingly, there will also be a lot of um, new areas, emerging areas will come up as business, which is the shared mobility and the micro mobility. Micro mobility will be a big topic for India. Mm -hmm. uh, do you know what micro mobility? Uh, I'm not quite familiar with it. Okay, so micro mobility means it refers to a range of uh, small lightweight vehicles that operate typically be below 25 kilometers per hour. Okay. And if you look at Kochi, you cannot go more than 25 kilometers per hour, right? <laughs> yeah. So maybe in Bangalore, maybe it is five kilometers per hour. So, yeah. So yeah. basically micro mobility devices includes uh, things like bicycles. Okay. They include e-bikes and electric scooters. Mm -hmm. And they also have electric skateboards. Okay. And the latest one in that thing is the electric pedal assisted bicycle. So all these things are part of the micro mobility. So these are things which can come a little bit faster in an economy like India because these things are cheaper so people can afford it mm -hmm. and you don't and after pandemic you know uh, COVID many people are actually scared to look at uh, public transport so these kind yeah. of things actually will help people to be in a more hygienic situation where you don't have to depend too much on the uh, mass transport right yeah. so these are some of the topics which will which will come but um, uh, but the topic which you mentioned see tesla has come to india now which is mm -hmm. a big uh, game changer okay and there are many companies who are investing heavily so electric vehicles will come but the government has to support a little bit more more standardization has to happen mm -hmm. and we really have to look at as i told you know is it green really green because the whole mm -hmm. idea of electric uh, electrification is to reduce the carbon footprint in the world mm -hmm. and that purpose has to be met right Abs yeah yeah yes ma'am okay uh, so i think we've got a good discussion on that now uh, we've almost we're almost reaching the end of our uh, session so my final question to you ma'am is being a successful person in engineering for almost 30 years what advice do you have for the younger generation of engineers out there how do you define success success as in um well uh, you know successful in your field i mean you uh, got a good degree from your uh, from a reputed college you were able to make your mark in the industry you've been actively working in the industry all over these years and you still mm -hmm. are and you've you have had your contributions to the industry too so from that point of view that is success to you okay interesting <laughs> <laughs> okay success is a very personal definition you know because yes. everybody has a their own definition. For yes, ma'am. Okay. So uh, from the light note apart, um, I, what I would say is, uh, as I mentioned already, there's a lot of continuous learning which is required because yeah. the technology is changing at a pace which we can't catch up. It is moving so fast. Every day you find new technologies. And I would say the best thing which I've done in my career is that I still learn. I, I still do a course on blockchain. I still do something so okay. that you have to stay relevant in the industry. Otherwise, you become obsolete. Mm -hmm. yeah. The 
second thing is you need to keep uh, current on other disciplines also it is not only your own discipline because engineering is no more a single stream for example if you want to make a, a car or maybe a ev example it is nothing to do with only mechanical engineering right you need mechanical engineers electronics electrical blockchain cybersecurity um, mm -hmm. so many types of so we have a melting pot of technologies which is there in every product that is coming out forget mm -hmm. automotive forget healthcare everywhere you have a melting pot of technology okay. so if you want to be successful you need to have at least some good good amount of know how on the adjacent technologies also for mm -hmm. example if you are an electronic engineer only that will not get in there mm -hmm. because engineering is changing in that way mm -hmm. so this networking which is required and the learning of such topics are also which is required Uh, okay. And on the student part, I would say that you know create a very good professional LinkedIn profile mm -hmm. and uh, build a good portfolio of projects and which you can put in there. So this is something which we can do. Okay. And uh, I would say that you know the the industry is growing in a way where now superheroes are not too much recommended. Superheroes and heroines are not too much recognized. Mm -hmm. uh, the mm -hmm. the brownie points are basically for how can you collaborate and co-create. Okay. So, if you want to collaborate and co-create, you need to have the mindset, the attitude, and the spirit to work in teams. So, mm -hmm. this is something which you have to learn from the college and then come to the industry because it's not something which you can directly learn in the industry, right? Yeah. So that's one part. Another important topic is developing the leadership skills where you can take initiatives and so on. Very, very, very important is communication skills mm -hmm. because what I've seen is mostly people coming. You know, from the rural background, actually, they actually are excellent engineers. They have got good engineering mind, mm -hmm. but the ability to express, yeah, uh, with the clar the clarity of thinking and the clarity of communication is something which is required, and this needs to be to be there. Mm -hmm. And uh, for that, you also need to understand the big picture. Yes, right. So the communication is another thing, okay. and uh, and don't be afraid to fail. You know, there might be certain mistakes. You might uh, do some wrong projects or maybe the thing. So don't be Uh, afraid to to feel, yeah. Mm -hmm. And the final thing is that nothing comes free. It is a lot of slogging. It is a lot of hard work. Mm -hmm. And never give up on that. Okay, ma'am. Okay, so that was indeed a really good message for all of us. And uh, with that, we have reached the end of today's podcast. I really must say, ma'am, I had a wonderful time with you today, and I am confident that our listeners did too. So I would like to thank you so much for being a part of Emend and for the insightful session we had today. Thank you, ma'am. Yeah. It was a, it was a pleasure talking to you. Yeah, thank you very much. I always tell you know when you have conversations with uh, youngsters or when you have to prepare for conversations for youngster youngsters, mm -hmm. it also uh, energizes energizes me. So I would like to thank you as well and wishing you all the best. A lot to lot to learn. and there is a lot to do in the world and i think you can make a positive difference so strive for that thank you very much absolutely ma'am thank you and here we are folks at the end of the third episode of emend thank you all for joining in and stay tuned for more interesting conversations